Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732. Heralded as the essential reading for anyone who dares to think of females as people, this book is seeing its generational renaissance right now, thanks to a talented female writer-director and the millennial hunger for updating classics. Of course, it's not all sunshine and rainbows in this new portrayal of Concord, Massachusetts' favorite clan of femmes petites. Those of you who spend just as much time on Twitter as I do have already seen The Great Man's Lament. Didn't they just make a Little Women movie, like, 25 years ago? Yes, yes, how dare we translate one of the most meaningful books for over half the population to screen for the first time in over two decades. Our kind just had a movie with more than one character of femme representation, didn't we? How dare we? Surely this is taking me too, too far, right? And who would even want to read or see a story about insipid little women? Well, this is fuckboys of literature, isn't it? Of course we're here to tell you that the classic story isn't just bland little girls sewing and being demure. There are fuckboys galore in this charming tale, and we couldn't tell you about them without the help of our patrons, and especially our patron Courtney Landis. With me today is Vanity Fair writer Joanna Robinson. How are you? I am so delighted to be here with you on a very rainy, cozy December morning talking about this book. Yes. This lovely book. We are both in California, so our perspectives of winter are wildly different than they were for the March sisters. And it really (laughs) made me miss living in New England while I was reading this. It's still pretty cozy today. I mean, we only have rain. We don't get snow, at least not where I live. But... um, but, you know, we get cozy. It's just a shorter range of cozy. Yeah, exactly. It's you know just I mean? dreary. And I like it. So, yeah, yeah. So I think you are the first guest I've had on where I basically requested we talk about a specific book. And I apologize for that. Usually I let people choose what they want to talk about. Um, what is your history with Little Women? Like, when did you first read it? How are you first introduced to it? Well, yeah, and let me just say I thank you for it because I had just read the book in August, so I didn't have to do any assigned reading, rereading. Awesome. You know, I was just sort of like, "Oh, I'm." Re-. You're like, "Do you want to do a Little Women?" I was like, "Yes, I'm yes, my I own do. Work's already done." <laughs> um, yeah, I I read this book as a kid. I had a I want to say like a Scholastic edition, mm-hmm. definitely Red Spine, Yearling. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, um, I read it as a kid. I read, you know, my edition had both volumes together, so it never, yeah. never occurred to me that they could be separated. Um, and I read it over and over and over and over and over again. I, you know, you and I, I think, are both very tall. So, like, I'm yeah. very tall. Um, I am a writer. My name is Joanna. People call me Joe. So, like, obviously, I'm a sucker yeah. for uh, Joe March. <laughs> I, you know, cried and cried and cried cried over Beth dying because I was really young when I read the book. Oh, God, so yeah, your first childhood heartbreak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, that was my first experience with it. And then I didn't, like, but it wasn't there, you know, I've heard some women talk about, or and maybe some men, too, I haven't heard mm-hmm. them talk about it, but I've heard some women talk about it, how, like, they read it every year or, you know, it stayed with them. And I, I sort of put it away uh, you know, when I was probably a preteen or something like that, and yeah. I, d- I didn't read it, um, like, all through my teen and most of my adult years. And then when this project comes up with Ger- uh, Greta Gerwig, right. um, 
my co-host of another podcast I do, Little Gold Men, Katie Rich, we decided to do like a little mini book club in August of books that were being turned into like award season movies. Oh, that's fantastic. What about... Yeah, it was really fun. We did. She picked some long ones, though, but we did the Goldfinch. And, and like, basically Little Women is the only one that, like, still standing that does have a chance because, like, the Goldfinch, nobody watched that movie. But um, yeah. but we did Little Women, and uh, and I had such a joy, like, revisiting it and, and re... Sorry, it's a long answer, but, yeah, just, like, really... Um, seeing what I missed as a kid and what I got wrong as a kid oh, yeah, or definitely. at least how, how I've grown and how the book has grown with me. Yeah. So, yeah. It was really fun to revisit. Yeah. I feel the same way because I definitely read it when I was read it once when I was like a preteen. So maybe like 10 to 12, somewhere in there. And I probably read an abridged version because I was not really a big reader when I was a kid. And it's just rereading it as an adult and especially as someone who has, you know, really consumed a lot of classic literature this year alone. It was shocking to me about just how modern it is and and how incredibly old world it is at the same time. It is really far removed from your understanding of of the independent girls that you remember from when you were a kid and realizing just how actually oppressed they are by social structures at the time and like societal expectations. Absolutely. But like, I mean, there's like a century between them or something like that. But when you think about the Bennett sisters and then mm-hmm. you think about the March girls, it it, it feel it does feel much more modern in, in some ways. But then I also like that you have characters like Meg who I think I really like the point that the book is making about a character like Meg March and the more traditional mm-hmm. path that she decides to walk and how that is a very valid path for a young woman as well. Oh, definitely. And, um, at, like, yeah, that is that is the thing. And, and dare I say she does it better than um, Jane Austen does, even though I, I, you know, I love Jane Austen. I venerate Jane Austen. But I don't think that I really feel every Bennett sister is like a type that I can really identify Mm -hmm. and like cling to. Mm -hmm. But with the March, with the four March girls, you've got these four personality types and what Louisa May Alcott, I think is doing is saying it's okay to be all four of these girls if you want to be. And I think that, you know, like we all, a lot of us grew up thinking like Joe was the only cool one. And then later in life, you're like, no, listen, they're all cool in their way. And that's that's really empowering. So, uh, you know, she had to, she had to sneak it in there sideways where she could. Yeah. It's actually really impressive because I, you know, I feel like most people identify with Joe because she's the most fleshed out female character. She's the only one where you get just massive amounts of her internal monologue and her thought process. And it's kind of in the same way that we all default to feeling like we're Hermione after we read Harry Potter, because she's the only one that we really get in there with. But I was really surprised with how expansive the coverage of the other characters actually is in the text. They all have full arcs, they all change and grow. And I know that Alcott didn't really feel that way about her characters. She kind of thought that Beth and Amy especially were just kind of like flat characters, which I was like, no, give yourself a little bit more credit. They're actually like, there's, there's, dynamics there that you don't remember from the first time you read it well there's uh, with amy i will a thousand percent agree with beth i feel like the second part of the book gives up on beth and she just becomes like this little ghost and then she dies yeah like having survived her first bout of illness she dies from not wanting to live anymore. I have yeah, a lot basically. of questions around why Beth dies. And uh, and that, and so it didn't touch me the way it did when I was a kid because I was like frustrated because mm-hmm. like, you know, they go, they, I don't, I, sorry, I hope it's okay that I'm just like hopping around, but they go, oh, they go, go to the seaside, uh, you know, and Joe's like, I'm going to heal you. And um, we readers like, or anyone who's seen in that episode of Friends are like, we know this isn't going to work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they go, they go to the seaside and Beth's just like, yeah, I just don't, it's like the tide's going out and I just don't want to live anymore. Yeah. And, and you're like, She basically dies mean, by suicide of just like giving up. She just like does yeah. not want to live anymore. Yeah. And there's, it's interesting because there is something I think really interesting to be done with Beth in the first part where it reads a lot. And um, in Greta Gerwig's uh, new film, mm-hmm. the character played by Eliza Scanlon reads this way too. Like it just reads as like, like socialing a, a crippling social anxiety in a way that I didn't understand as a kid. Yeah. Just like, Oh, Beth shy. But now that I understand like 
diagnosed personalities on various spectrums. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a part in the book where they're like, we pulled Beth out of school. Yep. Because it just was not working for her. And we just taught her at home. And I was like, oh, she needs special education. Okay. Like, I think that's what's going on with Beth. And that's, that's yeah. interesting. And then for her to just like disappear and give up is uh, like, it doesn't feel, that's the, probably the part of the book that feels the least satisfying to me. Yeah. I mean, it's especially interesting because she has such a fear and then a very deep relationship with Mr. Lawrence, the old rich man who lives next door, who is Lori's grandfather. And in the book, they have such a beautiful relationship where he dotes on her and is so deeply paternally in love with her because he, she reminds him of his granddaughter who died. And I'm assuming not Lori's sister, but maybe like a cousin because they never quite go into the relationship on that. But he just deeply is deeply moved by her. And then once she dies, they never even talk about his reaction to her death. Aside from the fact that Joe is like, don't worry, I'll replace her. And he's like, oh, good. I will say that um, this is something I, you know, I don't want to go into the film too much Mm because I don't want to spoil it for your listeners who haven't seen it. Um, I got to see an advanced screening of it, but like I have mixed feelings about about the movie, actually. But Gerwig addressed this specifically was which was a complaint that I shared where I was like, where is Mr. Lawrence's major reaction Mm -hmm. to Beth's death? Like what is happening? Uh, It's a it's a it's addressed to my satisfaction in the film. And I was like, thank you. I feel like I feel like Greta Gerwig went through the book, made a note in the margin, which is like WTF Mr. Lawrence's reaction (laughs) and 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 righted that wrong a bit. um, Oh, thank goodness. That actually makes me really happy because to me, it seemed as if no one really cared that Beth passed away except for maybe Joe I know like maybe they had like you know resigned themselves or whatever but it's just like oh we didn't want to bother Amy and bring her home from Europe and I was like I I think you should have yeah exactly (laughs) for this just really quickly at some point they describe Amy and Lori in Europe, and uh, basically they said at some point, well, the grass was already green over her sister, so Amy didn't want to go home. And I was like, oh, that's a really callous way to describe that. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's hard to know because this book is so autobiographical. Mm-hmm. It's hard to know, like, when the author is being is not diving into something because maybe it is actually too painful right. to deal with, you know, like maybe that's an excuse I can make for what happened here. I don't know. But yeah, that's, that's a, there's a lot of new joys I discovered in rereading little mm-hmm. women. And that was one area where I was like, Oh, well I totally bought this as a kid, but right now I'm not, I'm not feeling this. At yeah, all. exactly. So, yeah. One of the characters that actually really surprised me upon reading this, and I guess it shouldn't because I am now a 34-year-old woman, was how much I appreciated Marmy and how she approached right. the raising teenage girls. Because a lot of her lectures are rooted in the power that women have in society, especially with the constrictions of, you know, like feminism and womanhood during the Civil War. She's like, you have the power to say yes or no to a proposal. You control the household. You make a lot of the decisions, which is a really proto-feminist viewpoint for like someone in that society to impart on four daughters. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, once again, not, I mean, maybe it's just unfair to keep comparing it to Pride and Prejudice, but that's the other, like, great piece of literature with a lot of sisters. Yeah, right? no, I don't think it's unfair. So, I think it's it's perfectly adequate because they are often, like, com- uh, taught together and they are just really the only, this is how you behave and how society interacts with you, sort of, like, primers for little girls. So, like, Mrs., you know, the diametric uh, opposite of Mrs. Bennett. Oh, absolutely. Like, primary concern from page one is how do I get my girls married, which is born out of how do I make sure my girls are safe? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's what that's, you know, that's how they could move forward, advance, be comfortable, be safe in life is Mm -hmm. marrying well. That was their only option. I do love in this book how much space Louisa May Alcott spends on Joe thinking about her career Mm -hmm. and the power of being able to earn money and the power of being able to help her family buy the money she earns. It's like, it's like, I don't remember absorbing that at 
all as yeah. a kid. But it's what a powerful message to just have like telegraphed to me, like from you know hundreds of years exactly. ago uh, by Louisa May Alcott. It's like women working is not only like creatively satisfying, but like you can just feel so great and powerful about yourself because you're earning money and that matters. Yeah. And I think that that's a, an incredible part of the book. I love the fact that it starts with both Meg and Joe complaining about their jobs. They're like, oh, this sucks, but we have to do it. And that's like a right. really intelligent thing to teach little kids is that like, you're not always gonna like the work that you're doing, but if you want food on the table, you better suck it up and do it. And it's a very adult thing to remind kids of. And that like your one, your first job isn't gonna be your job for the rest of your life. Joe has really big plans for herself. And she's like, but in the meantime, I have to sit with like Aunt March while she is boring as hell and lectures me about the Bible. (laughs) And you know, it's what I gotta do. And it's really, really cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because like Marmy, Marmy talking to her girls, every conversation Marmy has with her girls is so valuable. like the what I remember of Marmy is in uh, reading the book as a kid, and even from the um, you know Susan Sarandon portrayal um, mm-hmm. in in the Gillian Armstrong film, uh, is this like saintly mother in the home? Oh, absolutely! This angel. Because it's like our first introduction to Marmy is Marmy coming home and being like, "Girls, can you give your food to this?" Poor family and helping. That's like the first like introduction to Marmy, and you're like, okay, great. We live with a mom who's a saint. Well, yeah, okay. great. That's, that's gonna that's, be rough. That's that's fine. But then like Marmy talks about her anger. Mm-hmm. Marmy talks to my favorite. One of my favorite chapters. I don't have kids, but you know, like my I have nephews. My sister has kids, so and my best friends have kids. Like I'm very interested in like what it is to be a, a young mother. Mm-hmm. And like Marmy talking to Meg about her husband and her kids like yeah. i found that incredibly powerful because M- marmy's basically like meg let your husband be a father mm-hmm. too and that's a way to make him feel like an active participant in his own home yeah and i was just like that felt incredibly like i know some husbands and fathers who still have issues like understanding that when you watch your kid and it's your kid it's not babysitting yeah, exactly. so like you know like the fact that marmy's like let john be a dad yeah and i was like that's that's great the only thing that i remembered from meg's later chapters when i was a kid was her like making jelly and how hard it was and she burned herself <laughs> like that's that was my memory of like domestic meg yeah, but there's exactly. all this other stuff that happens that i think is really interesting i know and marmy really drives home the fact that like a man's only job in the home isn't like to knock you up and earn money your husband is there to support everything and you know the partnership lecture that she gives a lot of her girls and where she even tells joe like you shouldn't marry Lori if you don't actually love him because it's cruel to both of you it's a really deep and not something you would expect from a book published in like the late 1860s early 19 1870s to like really drive home and she almost is disappointed when Amy says, I would like to marry someone who's well off. And she's like, but also if you love him. And Amy's like, I don't know, someone has to marry well. And Marmy's like, no, you have to love him or else it's not going to be a good marriage. The thing that Marmy says about finding a partner, a true partner, a real partner, mm-hmm. uh, feels to me like this interesting theme running through the book. If you know... If you've done a little light Googling on the Alcott family, you will know that Bronson Alcott, um, Louisa May Alcott's father, uh, was like so dedicated to his political beliefs and career mm-hmm. that he often would uh, pursue that in instead of providing for his family. So they often went hungry. It wasn't yeah. like they were genteel middle class. They went hungry and not because father was away fighting like in the war because father was like a jerk mm-hmm. and put his like all of, you know, I'm all for political ideals, but also you need to feed your Yeah, children, but if right? you have so, kids, like, like... Yeah, exactly. And so like Bronson Alcott is this real piece of work and the fact that like, the fact that Mr. March is just like gone, yeah. <laughs> I think is so telling. <laughs> Where it's just sort of like, guess who wasn't really part of raising us? Our father. And like, he 
he comes back in part two and he's like this interesting educator and he's good with his grandkids mm-hmm. as the as is the way of a lot of like bad dads sometimes as their great grandfathers but yeah. like but it's just i i feel like it's a little dig at bronson alcott to be like guess what i'm just writing you out of the story almost entirely yeah That's especially because do. mr march disappears because he volunteers to go to the civil war he's too old he really shouldn't be there but because he's kind of disgraced that he lost his family fortune he goes i know i'll be a chaplain in the military and everybody's like or you could stay home and he's like no <laughs> i have to right. go to the front <laughs> it's awful exactly it's not great and i think um once again i think without spoiling anything i think greta gerwig noticed that too and okay good some great stuff stuff for marmy around that um in in the in the film yeah because- lord Dern's portrayal of marmy is like the first real fully formed marmy i've ever seen and i and i'm really grateful for it yeah i, I really love the fact that you know meryl streep was probably offered marmy first and she's like no i aged out of that i'm gonna be aunt march and i was like you went with the crotchety old lady round of applause for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah it's a that's a that's a mode uh, Meryl Streep excels at is just like, I think, I mean, she could have done anything, honestly, in yeah. that film, but like she, she could play Amy March and I would probably be convinced. <laughs> but, um, but I think Meryl is like really leaning into those like uh, real character roles uh, right now in her career. So she has, she makes a whole meal out of that. That's fantastic. I, I'm excited to see the Greta Gerwig movie, which because this is airing on the 25th comes out today, I'm assuming everybody should go and see it. Um, because I am really excited to see someone who is relatively my age tackle something with the understanding that she can make commentary on what the book is saying versus what it should have said, as you've alluded to several times in this conversation of just saying, oh, no, she noticed that and she mentioned it. Don't worry. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I did. I I got to do this um, interview with Laura Dern and I was talking to her about Marmee and there's this part the video has been released. It's like, I think it's in some of the trailers and there was like a little snippet of video going around, but the scene where, and it's straight out of the book, mm-hmm. but the scene where, um, Marmy talks about her anger, right. With Joe, right. where Joe's like, you're so, you're, you're, you're so sweet and loving and I'm so awful and wild. And Marmy's like, no, I'm, I've been angry almost every day of my life. Yeah, you exactly. Like, I just, you, you, you learn how to deal with it. And sometimes you, yeah, that's just what that's maturity just, you know, is, is just learning when to just, hold your tongue. Yeah. But also like, I'm a human. It's okay. I'm a human. You can be a human. There's space to be a human. Mm-hmm. It's all right. And, and that's so much of this book is like, it's okay yeah. to feel the way you feel, whether you're an Amy or a Beth or a Joe or a Meg. But, um, I was talking to Laura Dern about it and she said, uh, not only did they pull out these pieces of the text that are rarely adapted in the various film mm-hmm. versions, but they looked at the letters between Louisa Mailcott and her real mother uh, as like inspiration, a lot of like letters and journals and stuff mm-hmm. like that as inspiration. So it, it feels like Greta Gerwig's like not only telling the story that Louisa May Alcott um, wrote and felt like she had to soften the edges on uh, right. in order to please her publisher, but is trying to pull in some um, ex- like extra autobiographical information or autobiographical or like, you know, real yeah. world tone into uh, the book that, that Louisa May Alcott was not able to put in because it was frankly too uh, edgy for yeah, scandalous. You know, what her- we'll be back right after this. I'm glad you brought that up because I think we have to have the discussion about how Joe was heart. When you read it now as an adult, you realize Joe is very gay and it's very hard to remember that Louisa May Alcott's publishers forced her to marry Joe off and to couple her up and to really make her straighter by the end of the book. Yeah, and this, I mean, she reads as either gay or maybe even trans because she just talks so often about how she wants to to be a boy, be a man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, like, yeah, once you start noticing it, you can't stop noticing it. But yeah. um, the what's interesting to me about that is, uh, yeah, that 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 Louise May Alcott was never married herself mm-hmm. and that she really wanted Joe to remain unmarried as she was. 
and that her publisher was like, no, she has to be married. And so right. Louisa Malcott obstinately was like, well, she's not marrying Laurie. That I'll no. tell you much that much right now, you know, enter Professor Bear or whatever. And, and you know, a million bajillion girls around the world are like, no, what? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, me too. When I was a kid, yeah, I was really Laurie, disappointed. Um, but I think, um, you know, if if we accept that Joe has to be married, which once again, honestly, I think the movie does not accept that. I'm just going to say the ending of this movie is fascinating. Okay. And I have, uh, what, like I said, I have some issues. I, I have issues mostly with, um, I'll just say this. The film is told largely in flashbacks. So basically it starts in book two and oh, flashes back to book one. Oh, interesting. And, yeah, and and that is really helpful for a couple reasons. This is true. You, you know this right off the bat, so I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Mm-hmm. But like, it's it starts with Amy in Europe meeting Laurie, and Joe in New York meeting Professor Bear. Gotcha. And so you are not already, you know, married to the idea of a different coupling. You get to meet these two couples, and and you get to consider them on on their own um face oh, that's first. really fascinating i think it's really smart i yeah. think it's so smart yeah. yeah and so then like a lot of the stories that we know very well about like amy and the pickled limes mm-hmm. or meg and her burnt hair or like all that sort of stuff <laughs> is like our flashbacks of like their childhood what and then and then some things are paired thematically like Beth's original illness and Beth's eventual death are sort of told gotcha. together as yeah. a story together, um, which and is a, good. And a lot of yeah, and a lot of that is very smart. But then honestly, uh, and I know this text very well, but honestly, it's somewhat confusing sometimes. Gotcha. And, um, and I know there was a guy in, like sitting behind me when Beth dies. Um, oh no! He was like. She had, like, just gotten better. Oh. And everyone's like, phew, she's better. And then she dies. And he's like, I'm so confused. And yeah. his wife is like, yeah, there was, like, a flashback, blah, blah. And he was like, and I, like, just could not blame him for being confused. Yeah, basically. exactly. If she gets um, over this horrible affliction of scarlet fever, she's really touch and go there. And then all of a sudden yeah. for it to be like, she's walking around and then croaks. Like, that's a yeah. little jarring, especially if you're a boy who never was forced to read about little girls ever in your life exactly <laughs> exactly so like it's a little it's a little bit of um an emotional roller coaster in that way and so like i i honestly think it's an ingenious idea of how to tell the story mm-hmm. i think it's it's really helpful for those um couplings that people have had problems with yeah. over over the century but like i think that um that's much kinder to I, joe to not let her look like she's crushing Lori's heart because she truly isn't in the book. It's just Lori takes for granted everything that he has with Joe and that's how his heart, his expectations are ruined. Yeah, and I like, that's the thing is like, when when you view it that way, especially like, especially in this era where we've, we've been thinking more and more about these narratives of like young men pining for women Mm -hmm. and how they just like relentlessly pursue women. Right. And how that was a story that we watched for, you know, decades and centuries and it was romantic. Yeah. And only recently are we like, Hey, maybe take no, maybe it's teaching young men not to take no for an Mm -hmm. answer, which is like kind of Lori. I mean, Lori, Lori is not like, you know, rapey by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not saying that, but like, But, you know, Joe says no, and he's like, I don't believe you. And, like, you can't really blame Laurie because, like, you know, the entire literary canon is like, (laughs) oh, don't worry. You know, Anna Green Gables eventually says yes to Gilbert Blythe. She comes around. It's fine. So, um, you know, it's... They consider romance erosion rather than anything uh, else. And it's just horrendous. So I love that Joe just, like, sort of sticks to her guns. I love in the book that Joe... um, Joe has this like cushion on her couch that she always like puts between herself and Lori. And and especially if you read her as gay or or whatever, like you're just sort of like this gay woman would like to like stop being bothered by her best friend. She's literally building walls in between you guys at a genital level. Just stop. (laughs) It's like, it's like a headline. It's like gay woman constantly bothered by best friend who doesn't get it. You know, it's like, yeah, so so that is, um, 
and and this is where I have a criticism of the Gerwig film is I think that there's a choice she makes uh, to deviate from the source material that I don't quite agree gotcha. with. But I do. But I do like the introduction of Professor Bear, and I do. And I've and I I know that Louisa Malcott was like forced to marry Joe, and I would have wished she could have had her way and not mm-hmm. marry Joe at all. Agreed. But that being said, I really do like. The Professor Bear Joe connection. It's a marriage of the mind. It's like, yeah. it, you know, she goes to the city and she meets someone who is like, like Lori's lovely, but he's an artist. He's mm-hmm. a musician. She meets someone who's like bookish like she is yeah. and, and is thrilled by that connection. Yeah. So there's something about that that I that I really like, even if if Louise Malcolm yeah. wrote it sort of against her will. Yeah. You know? I kind of a pre- I kind of could have done without Professor Bear basically calling the stories that Joe was writing like trash i think that was probably a little bit rude on his behalf and it's sort of like a a neg to pick up the young girl but i understand that that he maybe or alcott didn't have the language of saying like you're better than this without like dashing her hopes and dreams from the very beginning yeah it's um it's interesting because like what it is is basically Louisa May Alcott's own like self-recrimination mm-hmm. that she's put in the mouth of like Joe's lover. Yeah. So that is interesting to think about. Um and I mean, you know, not not I mean, my favorite uh swoonworthy but slightly problematic uh literature boy <laughs> is Gilbert Gilbert Blythe. And Gilbert Blythe does the same thing to Anne where he's like, Stop writing this nonsense and write about what you know. You know what I mean? And exactly. that's basically what Professor Bear does, and then she writes about her sisters. You know, it's like yeah. it's the same it's the same story. Yeah. Write about your write about this book we're actually reading right now. It's a good <laughs> it's a good story. Do it, you know. So, but yeah. I mean, it makes sense for Joe to write these you know sensation stories as they're called because the march girls even though they are not they obsess about being poor and you know anybody who's middle class or you know lower than that in american society has always worried about money but it strikes me as a particularly terrible thing that the March girls just obsess about being poor when they are in contact with the German family, the Hummels, that are basically starving to death. And Beth actually, like, you know, holds the Hummel baby as it dies of scarlet fever. They know what poverty is, but even throughout the entire book, they never seem to actually get the message that they're not in it. Yeah, I think I I think I'm contractually obliged to um, mention the social media app TikTok whenever I am on a podcast <laughs> these days because I'm like kind of anthropologically obsessed with it, and uh, just because I want to understand the teens. Yeah, um, I don't get and, it. <laughs> um, so there's this there's this one uh, popular TikTok. If you don't know, is like a video social mm-hmm. media app where teens like they will. It's very meme friendly in that they will like repeat scenarios do their own take on scenarios over and over right and over again and that and, and by doing their own interpretation it's i don't know it's kind of fascinating too, yeah but there there's this one where um <laughs> there's this one meme where like the kids go like middle class check i don't i can't explain it but anyway they're like <laughs> i'm middle class like this is my very ordinary because i think it started because there were some teens who'd be like i'm really rich check and like show their enormous house and you want right. to be like th- th- like Send them to the guillotine or whatever, right? Like, so, um, so these these kids started going like middle class check, and then these other kids were like, "Hey, actually, you're not middle class because like this is what an actual middle class house looks like." Yeah, so you want to tell the March sisters, "You're actually fine." Yeah, guess what? You're fine, and that's definitely kind of the lesson they. That's kind of the lesson they learn in the very beginning, but Mm -hmm. it's not always a lesson that they hold on to. But also, like. That's the thing is like you could write Meg and Amy off, uh, especially as being like materialistic or whatever. But yeah. it's also it's just like it's a very normal and natural thing for a young woman, especially like in the Meg story where she goes out with these other, you know, yeah, young wealthier women. women. Um, yeah, to like compare yourself and feel inferior and worry and wish that you didn't have to worry about that because there's so many other yeah. things to worry about as you're trying to be a young woman going through the world. So like it's, it's uh, you're right that it's like, it's, 
it's silly and sort of, uh, you know, they got their blinders on. But at the same time, like, I just find that very, once again, very human, very, very relatable. Especially because, you know, during that scene where Meg goes to this grand, this party at a grander home than she has, but it's also less grand than Lori's. She's sort of presented as a girl who like, quote, like, doesn't know she's hot. So, you know, they take her and they put her in a scandalous dress and they do up her hair and they put makeup on her. And she's uncomfortable with it but appreciates it at the same time just because this is probably her first taste at like real finery and then when Lori comes to be sort of her date to the dance he shits all over her and her happiness and it's a really detestable thing for him to do he could have just not said anything and unfortunately to both Meg and Amy especially whenever they show their family obsesses about being not wealthy but then when they express you know a desire to have better things or how they're going to go up in the world people treat them like absolute garbage and i don't think it's ever been a part of american society where you weren't expected to want to move up it's just part of being an american where you are consciousness consciously or not you always are expected to want to move to the next station. And then for the girls to get their teeth kicked in, basically, whenever they actually say it, rather than just secretly hope for it, is a really uncomfortable thing that Alcott does throughout the book, especially to Amy. Yeah, I think this idea of like um, young young men, young uh, romantic leads... Uh, mm-hmm. ch- ch- chiding, not even young. The the male romantically chiding the woman because like that's that's like you know the classic Mister Knightley move, right? Yeah, and exactly. you're just like you're like you know very badly done, Emma, and you're like okay, hold on all a right. second. Like I, I guess what I would prefer you not to. So yeah. like yeah, Laurie doing that to Meg is like I. It's a it's kind of okay that he did it. I just wish she hadn't been like you're right. Yeah, please don't tell anyone. Yeah. You know, I'm just like. T- like snap just back and be like be like let me have this yeah and, i got to play you know. dress up for a night and yeah. you're only 16 you're allowed yeah. you're still a kid and especially because yeah. they do talk about even longer than i thought they would talk about being children when they are 16 17 18 even like 19 years old where i was like your hormones are kicking in right about now girls like you should right, right. You know, you're not children, but they refer to themselves as children for a really long time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. And like, I just there. Yeah, the, maybe that's this is like Louisa May Alcott's internalized misogyny coming through yeah. or, or whatever. Or, or just her or, discomfort with, you know, societal expectations of girls and, you know, motherhood and things like that which you know don't blame her but femininity yeah yeah yeah. but it is definitely presented in the book as like you should not have wants outside of you know the very specific things that we have said for you and i have this is probably because i am an amy after looking at this book but i have a lot of (laughs) compassion for her because even after she and Lori get married sorry spoiler if you haven't read it Um, You know, she and Lori have a conversation about how they have so much. They never mention off the bat desiring a family, but they do have a conversation about how they should basically give away all of their money because they have so much. And I found that to be just a really out of character conversation for both of them that was very charming to me at the end of the book. I think it's it's definitely an out of character conversation for Lori, but I think that like Amy, one of the joys of reading Little Women as an adult is the great discovery of Amy March mm-hmm. and how like you, you maybe as a kid you discounted her as like the bratty younger sister, yeah, the shallow and then, one, like, right? And then she's treated that way. Like basically, here's what happens, right? And in, in all, because I've seen. Um, like the three film adaptations that preceded mm-hmm. uh, the Greta Gerwig, I've seen all of those. 
Um, and I watched them multiple times growing up. Like I, there's the Catherine Hepburn one. Yeah. There's Elizabeth Taylor one. Uh, and then there's the Jillian Armstrong Winona Ryder Susan Sarandon one. Mm-hmm. And I've watched all of them multiple times. And every single one of them, Amy's a brat. And then she like goes to Europe, hit hard fast forward. She's suddenly an adult. Yeah. And Lori marries her and that's it. Yeah. That's the story. And it's almost as if but she steals Lori and it's like not right. at all. Right. But that's, but that's not her story in the book. There's this whole section that I love about the like church fair, right? Where yeah. Amy's like got these like great crafts and these other girls are being like shitty and vindictive and Amy's just like, I'm just going to, it doesn't matter. Like we're raising money for, yeah. you know, like it doesn't matter. They gave me the bad table. It's fine. The number and, of like, times Lauren that is- Amy is like, you're being a bitch. So I'm going to go over here and hold my tongue is just incredibly mature. Cause I can't right. even do it now. <laughs> Absolutely. And this all happens before she goes to Europe, you know, and like, like, so, so Alcott gives her this great maturation story mm-hmm. that like every adaptation is left out. And so I really appreciate uh, reading the fullness of Amy's story. Yeah. The, like the... <laughs> The story that I wanted to start, like the hashtag I think that I started was like uh, Justice for Amy March, where I'm just like, she's been, yeah, she burns Joe's manuscript. So all of us who identify with Joe, exactly. like never forgave her. For That's that. her Absolutely. one childish thing that she does. Well, she, I mean, she does a few other things. Yeah. She, like, you know, pickled limes, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. You know, like Amy, you know, Amy, Amy's the annoying little kid, but she's also the littlest one. Yeah, she, she gets is. left out and she gets sent away when Beth gets sick, like all this stuff. And there's stuff seeded in too with, with Amy and Lori, like that Lori comes and visits her at Aunt, at yeah. Aunt March's when she's away, like that they have this connection that precedes him being mm-hmm. dumped by And that Joe. the other so, girls like, don't know anything yeah. about it because they're not there aunt marches right yeah so it's not it's not a like out of the blue like you know that laurie's like oh well any any march sister will do there's a little bit of that (laughs) i think where he's just like he's like i'll be in this family by hook or by crook (laughs) he's basically like owen wilson's character from the royal tannenbaum which makes no sense but that's kind of beside the point Wait, how, do, how does it make no sense to you? Uh, to me, I, you know, I guess it doesn't make sense to me that he is such a wealthy, worldly kid. And he, you know, has traveled Europe and his grandfather just gives him everything. And then he goes off to college, which is presumably Harvard, because he can come back every weekend. I guess it doesn't make sense to me that Laurie would not even have a relationship with a woman for a long period of time outside of the March sisters. He has a different level of society that he is in, but he, I get, I know he feels more comfortable with the March sisters, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that he wouldn't also equally feel comfortable or comfortable enough to pursue women in his own, like, you know, quote, station, I guess. I think... I, I disagree. I well, I will just say I think that Alcott does a good job of uh, portraying um, his extreme loneliness and like lack of affection that he gets from from a grandfather who is mourning, you know, a grandchild. Yeah. So we don't see like that he's able to give him. So like he's got he lives in this big chilly like Empty friendless mansion. house, and then you know just the hive and bustle and warmth and love and mm-hmm. affection and like maternal energy that is yeah. the March family is just like he's immediately like oh my god all the little nooks and crannies and cracks in my heart have been yeah. spackled over by this family and like I can't ever like go like this is it this is the place you yeah. know I have to be here so I, I think I understand that it is surprising to me that he never has I feel like he should have had like a girlfriend yeah um like you know, one like, society like, girlfriend one society girlfriend that like maybe he dated just to make joe jealous but yeah like, he's you know still he did it so yeah um, i yeah. know joe mentions that he like f- he has crushes on other women while he's at college and then she basically chides him for it of just saying like stop flirting with all of these girls and then he's like ah but you know i really want to marry you and joe's like but not me <laughs> So she gives him very sort of mixed messages in that sense, even though she is very consistent about the fact that she does not and will not ever want to have a romantic relationship with Lori. She does also scold him a little bit when he does go and flirt with other girls. Yeah, it's uh, 
it's it's an interesting it's it's interesting to me because Louisa May Alcott has said that um you know he's a high he's a composite character based on a lot mm-hmm. of different boys that she knew and um for that reason I think he doesn't I don't feel like I'm really ever in the true heart of Laurie ever yeah. like I don't feel like I really really ever fully access him as a character the same way I do the yeah. girls. And you have and, no one to um, compare yeah. him to. There's really no other boy yeah. in the book, especially in their childhoods, where there's there's the, the couple of boys from Britain who show up again randomly. But other than that, they really have no contact with other male figures. So it's a little bit difficult to say, I mean, I think Laurie is probably the biggest fuckboy of the book, but that's just because he doesn't listen to Joe when she says no hard and fast. But other than that, it's there's no other male figures in their life until they're adults. I mean, this is this is John Brooks erasure, but um, you know, true. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. John, all John does is like, I mean, John is is very sweet. He like goes and you know, yeah, collects glove gloves and like, goes to help <laughs> Marmy and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he, he's a nice boy, it seems, but um, but not not like a uh, a strong figure. Yeah, I they like they don't have like. You forgot about him? <laughs> no, I feel like they killed off Beth because they didn't have another boy. Oh, to like marry her off. Yeah. To. They're like, oops. They could have like, you know. They could have created one. one. The, yeah. One of the like other seaside boys could have come back. <laughs> Who knows? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. There's possibilities. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. Lori yeah. Laurie is an interesting. Like Lori is. Very, he's swoon worthy in some ways because you're just like, oh, we love a boy who wants to like mm-hmm. hang out with the girls and like join their drama club yeah. and just like be game and down and sweet and around. But he's also just like, as Joe says throughout, like, you know, he's just also spoiled and he's having his way and yeah. he's like, he just doesn't get it. And, and so like this, this hard lesson he learns from Joe and then, you know, subsequently the way in which Amy tells like, because him you want to talk about so Yeah, you want, to talk, you want to talk about chiding. You know, Amy does her share of chiding of Lori. Like, that's the making of him, right? Yeah. Joe dumping him and Amy sort of not just making it super easy for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm is, just saying she did it for a reason because you're a selfish yeah. prick. Yeah, it's true. It's true. He, he had that coming. So, yeah. there, there is just something about Laurie who just sort of falls at the feet of whatever woman gives him a good stern talking to. It's a little fantastic for when it was written. Um, I, and I will give him that. It was Laurie likes himself some tough love. He's a bottom. What are you he gonna is. Do, he know? really is. <laughs> Should we like rank the the men of Little Women in order of like fuckboy oh, ability? Definitely, I think so. So okay, yeah. So Lori, number one is Lori. We obviously. agree. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, number number two, Professor Bear, right for the uh... yeah for really negging on Joe pretty hard yeah. about her sensationalist yeah. story when she's just trying to like feed her sisters and keep Beth from dying, like. Guys, he's yeah. got some pri- she's got a priority. And it's not noble <laughs> writing. Um what's Amy's um Fred Vaughn. Oh Is yeah. Fred Vaughn number three. Fred, yeah, I think <laughs> so. Three. Who's the one that the little rich girl marries? Oh gosh. Remember there's a guy at the party who's like flirting oh, with yeah. Meg pretty hard. Oh yeah. I don't remember oh, his yeah, name. I don't remember. He was that kind of a guy. schmuck. That guy, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then I guess I don't want to. No, I'm going to put Mister Mister March. Yeah, um, for for there, jumping off to right? the Civil War. That's pretty inappropriate, yeah. and just leaving your wife and daughters leaving to fend for themselves in the winter of yeah. Concord, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Mister March. Then, uh, then probably John. Yeah. I don't know. I can't think of what John did wrong other than just be like. Um, lusting after probably a child. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the age like, difference is, but she was like seventeen when he was first like, "I'm gonna steal her glove and like pine over it." Yeah, which is a little bit gross when you realize that um, you know, the age of 
maturity back then was not 18. It was like 20. And that's when Marmy and Mr. March insist on her waiting until she gets married. But at least he did the noble thing of like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to pine from afar. I'm not going to let you know until I talk to your parents. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he was like, he was very willing to play the like slow game and like mm-hmm. it got accelerated for other, re- not his plan, you know? Yeah. Um, And he does, I do appreciate that he does, um, the uh colonel brandon like i will be a hero in an hour of sickness uh-huh. like move for you i will help your mom yeah that's exactly. what i'm gonna do and make nice with your dad and i'm like that's a that's a real smooth move and he's John, a so, really like, good dad like a really good yeah. dad so yeah all right um so and then i i mean maybe maybe he should go below um Lori's grandfather then because yeah. like I don't know like for being withholding around your grandson because you're sad about your granddaughter yeah and um, because you're jealous you as know. hell of your son who ran off and married an Italian right. singer or something like that right that's a pretty low thing to do so Mr. Lawrence not great and he's also really gruff with the girls at the very beginning which is kind of inappropriate when they're just like the rapscallion girls who live across the way <laughs> um all right so i think we've determined that the best man of the book is john brooke absolutely congratulations meg march you did it (laughs) you married up girl good for you yeah you did it um all right this has been this is really fun thank you for having me so how can our listeners keep in touch with you and your work uh, you can find me over at uh, Joe Wrote This on uh, Twitter. Uh, if you want to hear me mo- talk more about Little Women uh, over on the Little Gold Men podcast, I talked with my co-host Katie Rich and um, editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair, Radhika Jones, who's like a big book nerd. Ah, she's awesome. To talk- she, yeah, she rules, and she came on to talk to us about Little Women. So if you want to hear her thoughts on that, she loves Little Women. So um, that was really fun. And yeah, those are the, you know, VanityFair.com. There, there you can find me so that is awesome well thank you so much for doing this i cannot thank you enough i really really appreciate it thank you for having me i love that this podcast exists oh. i'm obsessed with your twitter and i just like i'm i'm this is a true joy for me so oh. thank you and as always you can follow fuckboys of literature on twitter at fuckboys of lit that's b-o-i-s or find my personal twitter at ms emily edwards we are also on instagram under the exact same handles Be sure to check out our website, fuckboysoflit.com, where you can find some fun blog posts, a link to our merch shop, or other ways to support. We're on Patreon now. And if you can, some of the best support is rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you tune in. You have no idea how much I appreciate reading your comments and kind words. Thank you a million times for listening this week. I'm Emily Edwards, and have a good one. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732. Childhood is wanting a variety of different baked sweets and someone telling you no. Adulthood is wanting a variety of different baked sweets and being able to go right to Mickey D's to get every single one you want. (laughs) Whenever you want. Get the new glazed pull-apart donut and a 99 cents any-sized iced coffee with pumpkin spice flavor. Sweet. Prices and participation may vary. Limited time only. Iced coffee promo available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.